0: Dave, welcome to the Building and Growing podcast. We're delighted to have you here today. Thank you. Thanks very much. Really pleased to be here. You're most welcome. So, this is our first podcast uh, filmed up in Manchester, um, which, uh, you know, it's actually, it wasn't raining this morning, which was decent.
1: Wonders will never cease, right? You know, A, there is some VC activity outside London, and B, it's not fucking raining.
0: Indeed, indeed. That's it. You know, two, you know, very two key unbelievable
1: stats there to kick us straight off. That's
0: it, indeed. Well, look, Dave, why don't we dive straight into that? Would you like to provide us with a bit of an intro to yourself and then prior tour?
1: Yeah so uh, i'm managing partner and co-founder of prochor ventures which is part of prochor group which i also co-founded we're a venture capital firm based in manchester focusing on backing the very best founders predominantly in the north of england um seed and series a tech and health um with as i say a real focus on finding the very best founders and entrepreneurs in the north of england and then you know doing the second part of being a vc which is helping them, once we've invested, to build the best business they can, however that support might manifest itself.
0: Fantastic. And can you talk us through sort of your journey to founding and, um, you know, creating Praetura? What went on beforehand?
1: Yeah, so I was, I sort of did the traditional, didn't know what to do, but was sort of, I guess, finance literate when I was a kid, so I sort of didn't know what I was going to do. Ended up doing law at university, ended up going from there to KPMG doing accountancy. So, so far, so boring. Then did the investment barking, banking thing, investment barking, investment banking <laughs> thing. Um, you know, again, sort of that was the first part of my career and re- really enjoyed it. And I was doing sort of PE deals and IPOs. And yes. then I was really fortunate. Um, we as a company, nothing really to do with me, started doing kind of some earlier stage funding. Yes. So we raised the first institutional funding for the Hook Group, which obviously has gone on to be a mega success and then obviously had its sort of issues post float, but still a mega business and a great sort of example of northern um, entrepreneurial flair. Uh, And we, so we as a, and I was part of the team that raised that capital, six million quid. I sort of fell in love with startups at that point. Um, You know, found them just so much more interesting than the PE, buy out a business doing 7 million EBITDA and hoping that it goes to 14 million EBITDA and that the maths of, of the debt and the leverage and all that sort of stuff makes you a three times return you know it was just yes. startups just sort of I guess spoke to me sort of fed my soul a little bit um I sort of you know very very fortunate at that time worked on the hook group worked on a we failed to raise money for AO, which obviously then floated sort of a few years later for seven, for, for one point something billion. Mm-hmm. Um, won the mandate for My Protein, which eventually was was meant to be a sort of VC deal, but found it stru- we found it hard to raise capital for it. So we eventually sold it to to the Hook Group, and obviously it's gone on to be a major part of their success. So sort of those three deals came along really really quickly, or in my head sort of like London buses, you know, like one after the other. Yep. and I sort of went, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to kind of don't want to do this corporate job anymore. I don't want to be part of a big organization. I want to be there at the beginning of something. Uh so three of us set up the business Pratura. Um we've sort of grown. And you think this was a plan, but it wasn't. It just sort of organically happened. We co-founded a few businesses. We set up a few businesses. We sort of did investments in a few businesses. And that sort of took us from 2011 when we set up to 2018, by which point we'd set up a business called Prochura Asset Finance, which was a lending business, lending against plant machinery and kit, an invoice discounting business, which is you know lending against uh, debtors. Um, we'd sort of done a number of early stage investments, and we'd also co-founded a business called PIB Insurance, the P standing for Prochura, okay. Prochura Insurance Brokers, and that's one of the you know, one of those transactions. We'd set it up worked for 18 months with the founders. They got offered a deal by Carlisle Private Equity, one of the biggest private equity houses in the world. and they offered them 250 million of buy and build capital, which as three lads from Manchester we couldn't really compete with. Yeah. So we sold the business, uh, you know, and that's actually gone on since to be, to become a unicorn. It's one of the biggest insurance brokers oh, wow. in the, in the, in, in the UK, it's one of the top five acquirers of insurance businesses. And, Incredible. you know, I was there right at the very, very beginning of it. And, and um, you know, I didn't get much of the proceeds, if I'm completely honest, <laughs> but um, much, if any, of the proceeds, but it was just great to be part of it. And so, yes. in 2018, we decided to put all those businesses together, Pritchard Asset Balance, Invoice Discounting, and and, and Ventures. Um, and I set off to run the Ventures part of it. We ra- raised our first fund in uh, 2019, an EIS fund. Since then, we've raised about 150 million quid. Oh, wow. uh, we've built a portfolio of 33 businesses. And overall, the group has kind of gone from nothing, um, so when you know, we co-founded everything, to uh, 50 million of revenue, 550 million of sort of lending book or assets under management, um, 150 people, four offices. And like, I look back and I'm not quite sure how and when that happened, but it just kind of did. Yeah. And Ventures is, as I say, grown to kind of, you know, we've got about 200 million of assets under management, um, 20 odd people, eight operational partners, 33 portfolio companies. Wow. And, you know, and we're really trying to sort of, I guess, really dive deep into that northern startup ecosystem. Yes. Because I believe there's just a huge opportunity there. It's, you know, we're fishing in a different pond to a lot of the London VCs, and that's a good thing. Yeah. It's also a bad thing because early you know early stage founders in the north of England just don't get the representative amount of VC capital. I can come back to that later. But, yes. But we're really leaning into that and want to be kind of that VC of choice for the very best talent in the north of England and try and give them an experience that means they don't have to spend their life going down to London to meet the money people. They don't yes. have to go and get a London VC to be on that cap table and then, you know, do all of that logistical stuff for uh, face-to-face meetings because I just don't believe that is the way it should be. I don't think that's a fair sort of scenario for for founders in Manchester, in Leeds, in Sheffield, in Blackburn, in
0: wherever it might be,
1: right? Yes. Um, and yeah that's that's what we're trying to do we're just trying to build as much of that ecosystem and we see our our role as being yes we're a vc yes we're trying to make money for our investors but also we're trying to be part of a whole bunch of people yes. who are trying to build this northern tech health startup whatever whatever word you want to use ecosystem that allows that that allows the great founders here, because I don't believe there's a monopoly on talent in London, yeah. to build great businesses, scale great businesses, exit great businesses, get that flywheel going. You know, exit great businesses, re, redeploy their capital into the startup ecosystem, and really get it, you know, really get it moving.
0: Yes, yeah, fantastic. Well, look, Dave, what a story, both you know, personal, but also um, uh, with Preyatura. Um, you know, you started off doing, you know, much larger deals in, in PE and investment banking. And then it really seems like you sort of, you as soon as you, you you got wind of, you know, some of the smaller seeds that can be planted and how fast they can grow, um, you became really passionate about that ecosystem. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I th- there's no other way to say it. Yeah, that sort of feels like my, I don't, know, I don't want to get all, you know, or kooky about it but kind of my spiritual home right I didn't enjoy working for big companies I didn't like the incessant hierarchy the kind of you know not really knowing where the business is going Mm. I like Mm. I like being part of that very early stage being part of a a business that's growing from you know one that's still figuring shit out and one that is still celebrates like the client wins yes you know, rather than sort of that big behemoth that just just, it's doing what it does. You know yes. it, it, it's it's become a machine and it does what it does, and and I think that to me sort of it kind of loses its soul, mm-hmm. um, and that's not where I want to. Where I I just don't want to spend my time in that. You know, and I think there's that. Yeah, there's just there is something about startups that that I love. I love listening to founders about why they're doing what they're doing, I love the stories about why they started their yeah. businesses, what drove them to it, the the pain they felt, they were like, that is a problem that someone needs to fix and that someone might as well be me, like I love yes. those stories. And then the whole northern thing, when I was growing up, when I was at uni, I assumed I'd end up in London. Yes. Like, I wasn't particularly patriotic about the North as a as a kid. Like yeah. it wasn't like I'm northern through and through. I I mean I grew up in grew up in just south of Manchester. You know, went to uni in Leeds, sport Liverpool. So like my life has been around the North. Mm. But um, I was never like pa- like pa- passionate or patriotic about it as a as a kid. It wasn't like I'm never moving to London. I hate London. I'm not doing that. Like this isn't an yes. anti London thing. I fucking love London. It's amazing. It's one of the, like you do forget it's one of the best cities in the world and we've got it on our doorstep and it's brilliant. Yes. But as I've got more into, more and more into this journey, the more and more like more and more I care about this, this ecosystem and see it as a, I've got to do what I can to help this part of the world and this part of the ecosystem and this part of the economic landscape Mm. do as well as it can and i feel like, I re- like it's sort of like every day or every year or every six months that passes that feeling becomes more and more strong indeed indeed. Uh, and it's something i'm really passionate about it's something i w- like if i can if i can sort of at the end of my career look back and say do you know what i i played a tiny little part in making that better for a bunch of people in this region
0: yes yeah a fucking great thing to say yeah indeed indeed and look one of the things that you mentioned there really resonated with me when it came down to you know founders that just want to solve problems for people you can want to solve a problem for someone from you know manchester and it can solve a problem for somebody in australia let's say yeah Um, i know there's a um a, a a company called safety culture um that has you know moved from australia or opened up an office here in manchester um and welcome uh, yeah, yeah that's it it's great you know and i'm sure there's companies going the other way but um uh the other point that really resonated was uh you know sort of being a cog in the machine at, at the corporate and then solving those problems um when you're working for a startup i certainly felt that when i left uh, British Airways and joined Revolut, you know. Yeah, you, so you that's can, quite, I imagine attraction. there's a bit of a difference there. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, indeed, indeed. And you can see the impact and almost I kind of got obsessed with then going to smaller and smaller companies. Uh, yeah, there.
1: yeah. I think there's something about kind of, you know, I've talked a lot about this with either founders that we've backed or even my team, like, you know, that startup mentality, right, is so to me it's intoxicating like they don't really have a job description yes like it's not about I do this and that's my job and I can't do anything like it, like we as a company have this thing that we either can do as an opportunity or we need to solve this thing that's a threat to us or whatever it might yes. be and the best thing in my was when like everybody in the company feels uh part of it yes you, I, I I hesitate there because I don't like the word empowered because I think it implies that someone's giving someone power and that's mm, not the case. Mm. But in the absence of understanding a better word, and I've struggled with this for a long time, is where everybody in the company from the most recently hired or the most junior person or the yes. person who's just come straight out of university feels like this is a problem or a opportunity that they can either solve or be part of maximising. And it's not about that's my job title, so I can't do this, or mm. I'm in this team, so I can't possibly look around and do some other stuff, right? Yes. That's, that's to me, something that I absolutely love. And I think, naturally, as you grow bigger, you end up with straighter lines and hierarchies and org charts and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Um, and that is where, to me, like innovation, passion, caring about the company, culture, Kind of goes to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, sure. and so, like, I just, lo- I just love that sort of early stage mentality of just, we gotta do this thing. Does anyone how to do it? Uh, no, not really. Right,
0: well, should we should have a go anyway, right? You yes. Know, and and that's just a great thing. Indeed, indeed. And look, Dave, some of the success that you've spoken about, um, you know, prior to his success, will have been, um, let's say, hand in hand with. The growth of the ecosystem in the north um, are you able to maybe discuss um some of let's say the historical fundraising issues that companies in the north may have faced
1: yeah um so so just to sort of uh, i'll set the scene with some stats that always sort of amazed me so the north as a whole so this is manchester leeds liverpool sheffield newcastle all of the yes. surrounding areas together is about twenty percent of sort of any economic measure in the UK. So twenty percent of GDP, twenty percent of people, twenty percent of companies. Mm-hmm. London is the same twenty percent, which might surprise people. But obviously, the North is much bigger as a land mass, but yes. but you know still has the same number of people, number of companies, GDP. Eighty percent of VCs live and work in London. Yes. Three percent of VCs live and work in the north of England, which is nuts when you consider twenty percent. But they're both about the same in every single economic measure. Yeah, eighty percent is VC, and you know for the benefit of people who listen to the podcast, this looks ridiculous when you put it on a chart. It so did, like, you've just got yeah. these bars that are the same, you know, this <laughs> huge bar, and it's like you know it's crazy. It's three percent of VCs live and work in in, in the north, and. VC at the early stage, and I've got to be really clear here, so I'm not talking about your Series D, your, mm. your SoftBanks, your Tigers, your Sequoia, your A16Z, right? At the early stage, I genuinely believe, despite all the sort of technological advances and, and Zoom and all that good stuff, yeah, it's a local sport. Yes. Like, it just is because, do you know what, some of the best times, when, you know, it was between a VC and a founder a, the ad-hoc coffee, the the lunch, the I've just popped round to your office or I'm just walking past, I'll just, you know, you yeah, know those those chat. face-to-face interactions rather than the Zoom calls. Indeed. And what the 80%, 3% disparity does is it means that because it's a local sport and this is that's right, 60% plus of VC capital goes to London founders. Yes. 11% goes to wow. northern founders. And, yeah. you know, if you take... London as being right, as in the right amount of VC capital per capita, per GDP, per whatever it is. Yes. That creates a £9 billion per annum yeah. shortfall in venture capital in the north of England.
2: Yeah, that's huge. It's just a, yeah. it's just a
1: fucking ginormous number. Yes. I don't think it's right. So, you know, you're in danger of stats that so saying things and saying, well, that's, that's right, there's a £9 running out. Mm. It's not, because London isn't Right. Yes, London is overweight for venture capital. There is more venture capital goes it going into London than there are, in my opinion, VC backable businesses and founders.
2: Yes, yes.
1: So London is overweight and the North is underweight, which means that nine billion number isn't right. But it's just a, you know, it, it's a way of trying to bring that to life in terms of what does that mean. Okay. What it means is. The competition for getting fa- funding in the north of England is just much harder. Yeah. In the same way, and uh, you know, and this is a dangerous sort of. I'm always very conscious of this topic, right? In the same way that female founders don't get their fair share of of VC capital, northern founders don't get their fair share of of, of VC capital. Yes. You know, BAME founders don't get their fair share of of VC capital. Yes. Yeah you know, and uh, the two are not the same right so and and the disparity for female founders is and and, and Bain founders is way worse yes
2: yes but it's
1: still the same sort of thing and what that means is there is huge opportunity so it's a it's a huge thing that we need to fix mm-hmm. first and mm-hmm. first and foremost and the second thing is it's a huge opportunity for people like us who happen to sort of focus on backing people in that sort of in that in that region because we are we are in a position where we can hopefully, and I hope this is the case, and I think we're working very hard to be this, where we can have we can work with the very 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 best of the founders in our region. Yes, rather than being sort of a London-based VC, and you know we're not Sequoia, and we're not Axel, and we're not Balderton, and we're not you know whoever it might be, Octopus Ventures, MMC, whoever, whoever, whichever, whichever your seed start Series A VC of choices down down in London yeah. we're not those right so instead of going down to London and trying to compete with those with those individuals for London deals which inevitably ends up with you paying you know a higher multiple or you do you know whatever it
0: might be, we're focusing very much on backing the very very best in the north of England indeed indeed and incredible stats there i think the one that stood out is you know that nine billion uh it's a huge uh, number right? per annum shortfall yeah it is it's massive um one point that you made very early on uh is that you know you're focused on early stage, and so yep. these this context the context of these numbers should be early stage. Are you able to um, just provide a definition for the audience of what you believe early stage is?
1: Yeah, and I think that's a really good question because like the terms of all lots of VC have gone nuts, and nobody understands what they what they mean anymore. You know, seed plus seed, like <laughs> they just have all got strange names, and like Series A can mean for one company can mean raise a million quid. Series A for another company can mean raise 20 million quiddits. that's right that's right so what do I mean by Seed and at Series A I guess we're most our happy place yes as it were is either a sort of a, if it's a B2B tech business which we do a lot which we back a lot of um, you know we're that Millionaire are, but we don't have like a hard and fast rule of it's got to be a millionaire. What we're looking for is if it's less than a millionaire, can we see the path yeah. to a millionaire? Is that a clear picture we can we can make? I mean, we back to a business called Culture Shift, Gemma, a, a female founder in Manchester. Yeah, we backed to when she was like fifty grand ARR, But we yeah. could see the path to a million. Yes. And we could see how it would go on beyond there. And sort of since we've invested yeah, you know, she's she's now breached one point. She's at one point three million ARR, like mm-hmm. doing really really well in a, in a, in a couple of years. But we could see that, so that's kind of our happy place. And then I think anything above that, you know, we're 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 we're, we're keen to back as well. So it's kind of for a B two B SaaS, which is the most easy thing to sort of reference. Yes, um, doesn't have to be a million ARR. We very rarely do pre-revenue. We very rarely do the "here's my PowerPoint deck and here's my spreadsheet of what the business will be." We like yeah. to, um, and I think that would be defined as pre-seed, right? So I think yes. we're we're at the um, fanning the flames, not starting the fire. Is probably the easiest thing. As well. yeah, There's it's, something it's that's something <laughs> has started. Yeah, some clients are buying it. Something you've released a product. There is something we can even if it's a tiny data set. Yes. There is something there we can look at. Yes. Yeah, um, some traction. Some tr- some traction, some uh, we call it momentum. So something Yes. is moving in the right direction. Like the the business that I find really hard to back is it looks really interesting. There's a great founding team whatever. And they've come to you and say, "Well, if you just give us this million quid or million and a half quid or two or whatever it might be." Mm. We're gonna turn on marketing, and all these people are gonna flood in and buy our stuff, right? Yes. And it's like, are they though? Because why aren't they doing that? Like, why can't Already. we? Yeah. Why can't we prove a little bit of that? Yes. To date, you know, and and that's one of those where I really sort of really struggle with the with the belief, not because I'm so obsessed with metrics, although I do like metrics, but just because I just like to see something has happened free yes. the money. Yeah, indeed. You know, Indeed. um and the money is good we know where the money can go and you know and later on as you get to sort of series a and those bigger checks you know so if you're talking about raising five and we might participate up to three million of a five million raise for mm. our biggest check we've done to date first check um at that point you should be able to look and say well if we pour money into this thing here. Mm. it flows through the machine and we get kind of expect to get this out here right that's sort of to me like a late stage series a or series a Mm -hmm. whereas at seed it's like we've got this we're sort of on the journey we don't know exactly where it'll get to Mm. but we've got some proof points some indications that what we believe might be right yes yeah Uh, and it's really i find it really hard to sort of back those businesses where it's like i don't have i can't we can't take any of the assumptions. We don't know what customers will pay. We don't know, you know, what the cost of acquisition is. We don't know. We, we don't even know necessarily what our perfect target customer is.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah, so
1: so we do like to sort of uh, this is a very very long-winded way of saying we're we're at early stage but we're not probably pre-revenue just a plan.
0: Yes. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Well, I think you know the what you said about the flames being there, and then you're there to fan the flames. Fan the flames, um, not start the fire. That's it, yeah. Trademark that, right? <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. It's a great a great saying. Um, but um, I, I guess I'd like to dig in the sort of the path to a million ARR. Um, yeah. So what what sort of things would you look for in a company that, say, has 100K ARR, and they're saying to you, look, we need funding in order to be able to 10X it? Um
1: uh, well what you should see in that scenario is you should see some momentum in the sales activity. Yeah, yes. there should be more things in the pipeline. So one of the things I love doing if I'm doing diligence is getting right into your HubSpot data or whatever you might have, your spreadsheet yeah. of all I don't necessarily need to see it all coming through, but I need to see there's more activity. I need to see that the pipeline's growing yes. and, and yes. you know and there is a process for that. I think oftentimes that hundred grand to millionaire art, a lot of that will come from Renewing the clients at a higher rate than they were previously, like so many companies, so many founders, and I can totally understand this. Right? Um, They priced the first contracts way too low. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so part of it would be right. Have we got any evidence that, let's say, you're charging a a ACV of we? Oh, well, going you know going back to some of the examples in our portfolio, we we back to businesses ACV was probably like two grand and we they were confident that that two grand could end up 20 grand
2: wow yeah
1: and we believed them yes you know and we knew it would take time and you you can't just go right you can't ring everyone up and go it was two grand it's now 20 but you mm. can at renewal and you can't and the client base was big so do you know what they can afford the 20 versus two if they if they're getting value out of it and they probably yes. knew they were getting a deal of two and we believed it um and so that hundred grand to a, to a million ARR journey was part. Well, if we believe that this hundred grand is at say two you K, know, it's fifty clients, fifty clients or whatever, right? Well, yes. Okay, well if that's twenty grand, yeah, you know, then then you've got a chance. That's yeah. It's you know, a million just just there. Yes. You know, and we know it won't. You won't be able to get it on all of them, but mm. and it'll take time, and the average will go up. Slower than you probably hoped so, but we think that was possible. And then you add in new clients at that new pricing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and so we really got comfortable that it was possible. Yeah. Um, you know, it was very early, it was very early stage. It was, but we believed it was possible and, and, and that was enough to get us over the line in terms of, of making that investment. That and the fact that the, the product was great, the founders were fantastic. Um, we believed in the mission Yes, I think that's another thing that really kind of helps get over the line. I Think, yeah, you know, for those early stage things, I think just belief in, um, what is it that, that was driving the founder? What's the problem that's solving? What is the thing that you're trying to do? Like, I, yeah. I talk about you know really backing the mission a lot, and you know, that's why we won't do things that kind of to me are slightly anti ethical. You know, yes, like I, I fucking hate buying I'll pay later. Yeah, yeah. I, and and we're not the right funder for a buy a, buy, a pay later business, right? Because these are shit ton of capital and that's not us. But I just don't believe it I don't believe in my heart hearts that it's necessary. I believe it's basically doorstep lending repackaged. Indeed, and I don't indeed. think that is a good thing. Yeah. And I think it encouraged a lot of people to get into debt. Um, you know, and that in that was quite a contrary view in, in the time when Klarna was being valued at mm. sixty five billion quid, right? I personally think I don't think Klarner will ever make any money.
2: Yes, yeah. I just don't think
1: it'll make any money, but I, I might be wrong. But it's just a good example of like something we won't do. We won't get involved in Vice. We won't get involved in you know. We'd never do fifty ten minute grocery. Yes, like. yes. No one needs it. Yeah. No, no one in the world needs ten minute grocery. Yes. And no, I don't believe anyone will pay the price it actually costs to deliver the service. So you know, mm. negative unit economics are a massive you know, that whole thing that happened in Silicon Valley of. We'll just buy a market yeah. and then figure out how to make money off down the line. I don't believe in that as a as a concept, mm-hmm. and Praetura is not the right fund to back that anyway because we don't have enough money. Yes, Um yes. So two reasons for that, but it's just those, those sort of things we just won't do, can't get on board with them. Don't yeah. like they're not necessary. I don't think we need them. You know, I think another example Kazoo. Just massive, like you know disrupting this uh, used car industry, but like when you actually think about it, make no money but on a on a car sale, like, yes, yes, you know you can't make money in used car sales if you deliver every door to someone's house, every mm. car to everyone's you know doorstep, you just can't make money, it. it's impossible, yeah, yeah, and I think people are seeing that now, carvana in the u s kazoo in in, in England. You know, they're just realising that these business models were not disruptive. All they were doing was adding additional services and features that customers want if they don't pay for them. Yes. You make them pay for it. They don't fucking want it. Yeah, that's right. That's or right. you just, or you as a business make no money in selling a car because there isn't. You know, if I got a quote to move a car from here to London. Mm-hmm. It's going to be 500, 600, 700 quid. It just is.
2: Yes, yeah. It's and there isn't afraid. the margins
1: in used car sales to do that. Yeah. If your average car sale is
0: seven grand, you, you just can't afford to deliver the car to somebody. That, that's right. And, it, you know, they're not probably going to get too many returning customers because people don't so one time, it's, a one time, it's a one-time it's a one-time
1: it's a one-time thing in fact yeah. what they do do is they offer a fucking seven day return so yeah. you, so what you're gonna do is you're gonna buy a car i don't know for six grand you're gonna sell it to a customer for seven grand you're gonna pay 500 quid to ship it to their door plus all of the other stuff that you have to do because mm. you're buying the car you have to make it clean you have to make it roadworthy. you have to make sure it doesn't fucking break down yeah deliver it to a customer who then has seven days to go actually i don't really like this one oh, can you can you come and pick it back up for me yeah, like, yeah. it's nuts it's just utterly nuts.
0: insane yeah and that is
1: just a mission i would
0: never get on board with indeed indeed and look uh, uh you know uh, another sort of funny uh uh thing that you mentioned before about buy now pay later and 10 minute uh groceries is when they started looking at offering um buy now Hey later for those uh grocery companies and yeah i mean i think it's the yeah. th- it's the
1: thing that i posted on linkedin that i think has had the most views <laughs> and like you know and some some people actually were like no why wouldn't you spread the cost of a of a deliveroo yeah I mean,
2: yeah fuck off yeah like
1: nobody needs to if you need to spread the cost of the deliveroo you shouldn't be having a delivery. That, that's like, right. Yeah. It just. I'm really <laughs> sorry, and I'm sure there's loads of people who go. Well, that's not fair. People, you know, having a delivery is a, a human right. No, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's no. just not. No. Like, if you if you can't afford it, if you can't, if you have to spread the cost of a delivery, please don't buy a delivery. Yes. Yes. If you want to eat out, go to the restaurant. At least you're not paying 30% markup. Mm. Or if you can't afford that, go to the supermarket. Yes. Like, it's ridiculous. That's it. It's utterly ridiculous. And it, I hope, and I think it will, I think it will get regulated into the ground.
0: indeed indeed. you've already seen
1: a little bit in australia right you know with Mm. all of those buy now pay later that are right i mean absolutely decimated
0: yeah that's right yeah i was doing a lecture on it um a couple of years back all right i feel like i've 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 i've
1: I've, I've sort of veered into territory where you know a shit ton more than me so no no no
0: look i mean um yeah like just one of the slides that i presented the students was of um yeah like the absolute destruction of all the listed um buy now pay later companies in australia and this would have been at the end of 2021, so, yeah. um, you know, still, or even mid-2021. So I think it, yeah, it got destroyed in Australia before the rest of the world, um, but... Uh, it's, just not,
1: it's just not necessary.
0: Yeah, indeed, indeed. But look, Dave, let's run back to that, that you know, one million pound ARR, because you made some really good points in terms of actually looking at the pipeline, you um, you know, and I think that's a really good takeaway for founders. You know, be aware that when it comes to a fundraise, if you've got a really well organized hub spot and you can demonstrate, you know, traction not just from a monetization point of view, yeah. but also deals in the funnel, that can be really helpful.
1: Really helpful. I mean I can only speak for what we do. Mm. Um I've never worked in other VC, so I don't know what other people do in, in diligence. But like to me, I you know, I wanna it can't just be because it's not this simple that the the ARR growth is a product of all the things you do prior to ARR growth. And if you don't have ARR growth, because for whatever reason you don't, yeah, you know, if you're not on the well, I was I was hundred grand two years ago, I was five hundred grand this year, last year, and I'm, I know, a million plus this year. But that, that's an easy story to tell, right? That's an easy like, okay, well, that makes sense. Yes. If you don't have that, start thinking creatively about the things you could present that you know, that that might give an indication that, you know what, there is there is that momentum in the business and that the, the million ARR is not quite an inevitability, but something that people can really believe in. Yeah. Um, And my team, Prachura, and, and I, you know, love diving into, send us your, send us your download from HubSpot from the la- end of the month for the last 12 months. And yes. we'll just sort of see that progression and, you know, People might look at that and go, "That sounds like a lot of diligence to do at a seed stage business." But like, we're just trying to we're trying to help ourselves believe the story.
2: Yeah. If yeah. we're
1: into that level of diligence, I think people founders should know that if you're into that level of diligence, the VC wants to believe the story.
2: Yeah,
0: indeed. Like indeed.
1: they they they're they're bought in. They want to. They're not trying to prove that it won't. Mm. So they're trying to sort of give themselves that confidence that, you know, the, the, the story, that we can hit a million ARR by whatever date. Mm. That isn't just a cross your fingers and hope.
2: Yes. Like, yeah. You
1: know, so I think anything that people can do to try and work on that, you know, if it's, if it is, do you know what, I've got 50 clients and they, you know, let's go back to my exam before, and the 50 clients and they all pay 2K. Mm. I think we can pay 20, I think they can. I think they can afford 20K. Win some new clients at 20K. Yes. Or on renewal, try to get the current client up to 20K. mm.
2: You
1: don't have to do it on all of them. You don't have to do the whole, like, shit or bust, every client is now paying 20K and, you know, you might lose them all because maybe 20K is not the right price.
2: Yes, yes.
1: But I think if you can be like, I've got 50 clients and um, I think they can pay 20K. All right, well, next few renewals, pitch it. Try and get them to pay 20K. Indeed. Because if you can get that, you know, three or four of those clients who have suddenly gone, hey, okay, I love this service. I was paying two, now paying 20. I understand it. I'm doing that. Mm. Your VC can go really clear. I, I get that. I, it won't happen for everyone, and it, I'm sure there'll be some difference between 20 and two, and you know, there might be a split the difference thing. But yes. I can believe that that 100 grand there are today is actually an implicit 500 or 600 or whatever it might be. Indeed. You know, indeed. And, and I think just anything... Any of those things, you don't have to prove it with a lot. You're trying to give people enough, like the breadcrumbs to go, yeah, I can get that. I believe it's because if if they're doing that level of diligence, they've already bought into the founder, they've already bought into the mission, they've already done the work on the market and you know assessed whether they think the market's big enough. A, a market diligence is a a strange thing for VCs. I'm not sure. Not sure anybody really knows how to do it properly. Mm -hmm. Market sizing is very difficult. And actually, I think in pre-seed, seed, seed, series A, it's probably over leveraged in sort of diligence because ultimately you just don't know.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: And and what you think is, what you think is a massive market might end up being actually quite a small market when you niche down to the very specific thing that the the company does and what you think might be a very small market might actually be something that, you know, will explode over time. So yeah. market sizing is just really something that people do quite badly, I think. Indeed. And and actually I'll take that slightly back. When I say do it quite badly, I just think it's fucking hard to do. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like,
1: yeah. I just think it's a very hard thing to do. Yeah, we would very unlikely sort of back a business purely on this market's massive. Yes,
0: I mean attraction rules the world. Momentum is you guys. Momentum. So look, we've talked a lot about you know that the sort of momentum that gets demonstrated to you. Let's say you decide to invest. How then does pre support post transaction?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great thing. It's something I love talking about. Um, because we've always wanted to do that. Yes. Right, so from the very early stage of like co-founder of businesses, me and my co-founders and the people who worked with us in the early days of Pratura were in the businesses. You know, mm-hmm. I became mm-hmm. CFO of one of our first investments and we floated it and I became like my first day in a finance function ever was a CFO of a listed business which oh, wow. was a bit of a baptism of fire and I didn't have a fucking clue what I was doing. <laughs> um, but you know, it seems to work out okay. So we've always had that ethos of being involved. Yes. And when I first set up ventures and we raised our first fund, I had this plan of like people in the business and sort of, you know, full-time employees looking at portfolio and, and I'll be honest, as we went into the pandemic, and this is a this is a long-winded way of answering your question, but I, if, you, if you'll allow me. Of course. Um, went into the pandemic, so the beginning of 2020, sort of knowing in my heart that what we had wasn't gonna be right, it wasn't gonna scale, it wasn't gonna mm. quite work. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic hit when, you know, we've got bigger problems, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, indeed. So March twenty twenty was was horrendous and April twenty twenty was horrendous and May was horrendous. Um and I started speaking to a guy called Steve Corns who was previously at Phones for You, one of the leadership teams then, obviously massive business, and then um CFO and CEO of uh, AO. Okay. So, You know, he was with AO from seven million in revenue to one and a half billion in revenue. So, you know, oversaw a lot of growth the whole journey. Indeed. Um, And I started speaking to Stephen. I didn't really know him. I'd met him a few times, but I didn't really know him. And he just was was an investor in our fund. Yes. And I don't really remember how it first came about. I don't remember why the first conversation happened. But I remember it was in... The middle of lockdown people were still working out how to use teams or zoom or whatever it was my <laughs> Wi-Fi was spotty it was yeah but i started speaking to steve and it, like an ad hoc conversation became a weekly conversation became kind of like formal mentoring yeah. um you know f- of me through sort of that pandemic year 2020 and eventually steve sort of joined me as uh Chairman of Protura Ventures and, and joined me on the investment committee and invested money into Protura Group. Yes. Um, and sort of, I guess, at the end of 2020, like that like Christmas, I kind of realized I'd learned more in sort of working with Steve as a sort of CEO, coach, mentor, whatever the wording is, mm. in nine months than I had in sort of like nine years of just getting up and doing what I thought yeah, was the best wow. thing to do for the business that day. Um, like a really profound effect on me. Um, and then at Christmas again, I thought, how awesome would it be if every founder within our portfolio got that level of support, that level of insight, that level of value? Yeah. That's real value add. Indeed. And so I sort of came away and I was like, how do I do that? I came up with this plan for operational partners and I was really, really lucky. I found, including Steve, five people who in early 2021 agreed to be our first cohort of operational partners. Yes. And the people that I was able to bring in still amazes me, but you know, we had people like, so Colin Green, and I won't go through every single one, but Colin's a good example. Colin, you know, spent his life in big tech, um, worked for Apple, ran Apple career, ran Apple Japan, then went over to Cupertino to work for Tim Cook. Mm. Ran consumer retail for Apple. Had a seventeen billion dollar sales budget, selling wow. to Walmart, Best Buy, yeah. all that sort of stuff in Cupertino. You know, That's and incredible. he's come back to the Northwest for family reasons. And somehow I bumped into him. Somehow I managed to pitch him the, the idea of him being an operational partner, and somehow he agreed to become one. Yeah, uh, you know, alongside some other opera, uh, alongside some other sort of experienced founders. So another of our first cohort was Don McGregor, who was co-founder with Stephen Bartlett on Social Chain. Okay. Um, wow. So I was able to kind of get these people. And they, so we started just trying an operational partner model of like They all gave us a day a week. Yes. With a pretty, you know, I guess going back to that startup thing I talked about of not having sort of job descriptions, a pretty loose job description, basically. Mm. Very, very simple mandate. Help our founders build the best business they can in any way you can. Yes. yeah, um, And it's just worked so well. Like okay. it's just worked so well. Um, we now add an operational partner every three to four companies we add to our portfolio. Yes, um, we've just brought on or just bringing on two more into the into the network. So the latest two are. Um, a guy who has recently sold his tech business to Uber oh, from wow. Manchester. Yeah. So Uber, like core technology within the Uber app today, mm-hmm. built in Manchester, sold to Uber. Two years of working with Uber, and now he's working with us as an operational partner. Such so, Amazing, story. like yeah. amazing. Like, and I've just got the we've got this group. We've got like you know X, um, you know, huge consulting firms partners for for North of England in healthcare, working with us on our healthcare deals. And yeah. Just got these amazing people, um, like, you know, another one, Andy Barrow. So Andy was CTO of a business called ANS. ANS was a software services business, built technology for other businesses. Yes. Sold for north of 200 million quid to inflection. Andy was CTO, but effectively CEO. CEO lived in Dubai. And he's joined us kind of, he joined us as an operational partner. And, you know, looking at that whole tech side of, of things, Mm -hmm. Um, and now both Colin and Andy have actually joined me as full-time partners because I think they came in as operational partners and fell in love with VC. They Probably had the same epiphany I did, which is love working with early stage founders, love seeing businesses grow. So they've now joined me as sort of full-time partners, and Colin looks after our operational partner network, and Andy looks after our tech investments. Fantastic. But it's just, it's worked so well, and you know, the requirement for an operational partner for us is someone who's been there seen it and done it Mm -hmm. absolute humility in terms of like it's not all about them yes they've probably made enough money where this is a choice to do it not a requirement Mm -hmm. you know we do pay them a little bit of money but it's not that's not why they're doing it. this isn't the way they're going to make their fortune yeah and kind of a a desire to give back to those people who were on the journey not having done the journey um and we've just been it's just been so good to bring in you know amazing people we've got paul johnson who founded scaled and sold a sas business for um north of 50 million quid we've got helen um who was chief people officer at uh dr martin's from you know saw growth from 800 people to two and a half thousand was there when you know replaced the exact team worked with Pamira and then floated it for three some, three billion wow. or whatever it was like it's just the quality of people and you know I pinch myself pretty much every day I'm like what the fuck are they doing working with us but <laughs> I think they just I think they just like that we're trying to sort of do that ecosystem build it's more than more like we would see ourselves a bit more than just a VC yeah um and I think
2: they just
1: We've hit, hit on something that people in, who've been there, seen it and done it, maybe they've stepped down from whatever their main gig was, the thing that's made them the money. Yes. And they're looking for something with you know, real intellectual stimulation, working with great people, trying to do something cool. Um, yes. And working with founders, which people really love, and we've just been really lucky. We've you know, found some amazing people. And as I say, they don't really have a job description. The mm. sole job we have is help founders build the best business they can. Yeah, If that's mentorship, great. If that, you know, and, and lots of the operational partners have one-to-one relationships with a number of founders in our business that's like a a proper mentorship thing, you yes. know, like CEO coaching. Um, some of them would be like, right, well, Helen obviously has a people background, so if we're recruiting a senior leader in one of the businesses which founders get it's really hard for founders to hire a Mm. lot of them haven't Mm. worked in great business so they're not even sure they know what good looks like when they're looking for that c-suite people
2: yes yeah
1: yeah being able to call on helen and go right what you know will you help me interview people which she does yes being able to call on colin will you help me interview people amazing resource you know and it's never our decision yes you know we if we if we do help interview and this is just one example or if we're looking at strategy another example we're never ever going to be like that's the way to do it this is what you must do yes but we will give an opinion Mm -hmm. you know if it's like we got down to the final two and the founder loves candidate a and that we prefer candidate b Mm. we go with candidate a yes because it's their business that's right that's right but we are definitely able to say and do have you know those frank conversations which is we we think B yes but we back you yeah
2: it's you
0: know, a, so very it's, very it's important hugely important founders yeah
1: and I think when you talk to people about VC and they talk about are you an active or you know a passive investor and things like that active has quite a bad connotation right mm. because it's mm. kind of like do you want to run my company yes and I think for any founder who is listening to that that like, VCs don't want to run your company yeah indeed no matter which v c they are no matter what they're doing, they don't want to run your company, they're not capable of running the company, they couldn't possibly begin to try and run the company, yeah so what I prefer is sort of like a it's almost like a consultative v c so we want to be partners we want to be want to be in there you know fighting the good fight, and we want to be mm. part of it, and we want to have a great relationship with founders,
2: yes,
0: but we don't want to run the company. Indeed. And I think it's, it's such an appeal to founders to know that, you know, they've got operational partners that can support them um, and it's not necessarily something that's mandated. The support, the option is there.
1: Yeah, it's, oh, it's absolutely an option. Like We never put on, right, you, you're going to partner with them. Because that's like not, what we do is we, you know, we give founders the option. Who are you, who do you think you're most interested in speaking to out by the operational partner network or or partners or whatever it might be? Mm. And then we put a few of them together and we see how it works. And if the, if the bonds formed great, if there's not a bond, then, you know, which makes it a bit, it can feel a bit, um, unstructured, but it's deliberately unstructured and thus far it's worked. You know, we've got 33 companies, we've got eight operational partners, you know, so, the question is, when we get to 100 companies, does it work with 30, and do we need to be a bit more structured? But yeah. that's a problem for another day, not not today. Um, and it's just a it 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 is something that people really like, yeah. um, you know, and people seem to really value. Uh, it's definitely something we we're it's one of the things I'm really proud of. Like that, it's something that you know, genuinely, I do think we are we are helping in some way. And I think a lot of VCs, if they were really heart of hearts, would struggle to really go, that's what I do.
0: Indeed, indeed. Dave, look, thanks so much for sharing that. Um, uh, we've covered a lot today in the podcast. Um, and just before we wrap up, what I'd like to do is ask you for sort of three key takeaways for founders.
1: In in what respect? So what, what, in, in what respect?
0: Uh, look, I mean, it can be... Uh, in in any respect, let's say that you know you're in an elevator with uh, a, a thousand <laughs> founders. You had thirty seconds um, to to knock off three pieces of advice.
1: Okay, fucking hell, that is a that is a <laughs> that is a wide ranging uh, question. Okay.
0: Yeah. The
1: first thing that I think I had to learn, and I think that founders uh, is no one knows exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I used to sort of think and I'm going to expand on this and it's going to take up more than 30 seconds, so I'll <laughs> apologize immediately. But um, I used to think when I was younger that like the, my bosses must just know what to do.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And you look around and you, know, you look on social media and there's a lot who will profess they know exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think once you realize that no one does, yes. and once you realize that even those people you really admire and sort of see, and this is one of the things that sort of, you know, i talked to steve a lot about is you know once you realize that everyone's just figuring shit out as they go along yeah and yeah you might want to prep and all that sort of stuff but it's okay to not really know and you just got to go with your gut yes. um yes i think if you sort of look at what founders generally talk about and what founders generally would ask a vc is like how to raise funding i think the bit of advice i give is you know go to the people who generally do what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. you're trying to raise 50 grand, don't go and speak to Sequoia. Yes. If you're trying to raise 200 million quid, don't come to Protura, right? Yeah, we can't yeah. do it, right? It's just not part of what we can do. So go to the people who have backed companies that look and feel like they're at the same stage. They're so if you're a health tech business or if you're a deep tech business, don't go to a fund that does mainly consumer investments, right? Indeed, they're never going to break their investment criteria for a business. And yes. actually, one of the things that I tell my team a lot is, if they don't look like they fit our criteria, don't meet them. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because
1: all you're doing is giving yourself a problem. Because right. what if you meet them and you like them, then you try and find ways of bending your investment criteria to make it yeah. work. it's just like, that's not purity of thought. So I think one of those is really to go to the right people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, I think the final bit, if it is a fundraising sort of question, which I think is a lot of what VC, what funders, founders are looking for, is when you found the right people, it's super important to be really authentic about where you are, what you're doing, where you're going, yes. and try and get to the authentic selves of the VC. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's as much a two way conversation. I know there's this whole like, I think the idea of saying it's a pitch. Makes it sound like VCs have all the power and founders have none of the power, and the VCs are trying to protect the money and the, v- the founders are trying to sort of come in there and, and get it. And yes, it should be a two-way conversation. It should be natural. It should be a flow. It should be. It shouldn't be we're pitching and the VCs are kind of nodding along and making notes and like almost marking them. Like that shouldn't be what it should be. It Indeed. should a VC founder relationship should be one where people both sides enjoy spending time with each other yeah you feel like there's a common goal there's a there's a shared passion there's a you know what? it's something that is simple as that. you know I'm gonna enjoy spending the next three four five years of my life working with these people
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and I think if I can just add one more thing to that I know that I'm fucking just going on and on (laughs) I think it's really important to to find VCs that understand that startups aren't easy.
2: Yeah, you know,
1: start. If I take Praetura, right, you know, how many budgets have we hit in the eleven years we've set up the business? Mm. Not that many. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially early days, right? Yeah, because you believe you can do shit and you want to do shit quickly and you can believe it can happen and revenues, you know, and all that sort of stuff.
2: Yeah,
1: and I think anyone who doesn't really understand that. Is going to be a bad partner for a founder because most founders will miss their budget in some way. Yes, yes. You know, you won't be able to hire as quickly as you thought, or the new salespeople you bring in won't quite deliver to plan as, as quickly as you thought, or or indeed ever. Or you know, those clients that you thought were definitely going to sign might not sign, or they might take six months to sign. you know? Yeah, you're going to like, and I think where the relationships can really go south is where sort of a, a VC is. A little bit like disappointed, or or even I've seen it where they're angry because the budget's been missed. Right? Mm, like, mm. Why are we behind? You know, and they get into that. Why are we behind plan? And the answer is, <laughs> we didn't sell as much shit as we thought we were going to sell. Yeah, like, that's the only reason there is. Now you can get into, do it, what's the process? Are we doing well? Are we do? Are we maximising every opportunity? But but fundamentally, sometimes the answer to why you're behind plan is just because we didn't sell enough shit.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it.
1: You don't need any more conversation around that. Mm. The, the conversation should shift to right. Well, what can we do differently? What do we need to do? Or is it just a case of let's? There are lots of good signs that are happening, but you know it's not come through in numbers just yet.
0: Yeah, indeed.
1: And and I think it's really important to have a, a you know find those VCs who you believe will understand just how fucking hard it is to build a startup. Indeed. Yeah. You know, because it is really hard, and that's why. I think you need more operators in VC. I think you need more people who've built startups or built businesses in VC because unless you've been there, I don't think you can really have that empathy. Unless you've looked at your bank balance and looked at your monthly payroll and gone, Mm. oh, that's going to be tight. Yes, yes. I'm not sure you can really empathise with that thing, that thing thing that makes founders go to bed look, sleepless nights, you know, like sitting and looking at spreadsheets, trying to make numbers that don't add up, add up in a different way.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: we've all been there if you've been a founder. That's you right. We've all been there. I've been in a position where we can't make payroll, I've put money in myself. Yes. You know, yeah. I've, been, I've been in a position where we're fucking miles behind plan and we want to do better and you know, you're looking at it going, why the fuck isn't this working? And, yeah. And why can't we, you know, in the asset finance business, you know, way back when, we couldn't breach 3 million of lending a month. Mm. We now do something like 12.
2: Yeah, wow.
1: Yeah, in that in that business, but like we could, like for the longest time we could no matter what we did we just couldn't get above it.
2: Yes, yeah.
1: And we were yeah, you know, I think and that's super frustrating, right? But sometimes you have to accept, you know, it is what it is. Indeed. We indeed. keep keep doing the good things, keep being the good things. You know, have a real desire, you know, have a real sort of belief in this is what we're going to do and we're going to carry on doing it and we think we're doing the right thing and eventually it should turn and and that sort of stuff. Whereas I think in those scenarios, a lot of times there's lots of just panic and why don't we try this and why don't we try that and we'll do this
0: and what about selling this and yeah, that's not probably going to work. Indeed, indeed. Look, Dave, we've covered a lot. I know, I I mean, we are almost out of time or or, or out of time. (laughs) Sorry. Um, But uh, uh, I, I wondered whether there was... Like let's say a message that you wanted to give investors and VCs about investing in the north.
1: I just think there's such an opportunity. And I think a lot of London VCs know there's an opportunity.
2: Mm.
1: I think every now and again they do they you know, they send someone up to go and do some deals or they'll go and do a roadshow and meet some companies. Yeah. I think the best you know, I think if people want to really get into this area they probably need to invest in a team or people up here doing it. Yes. And and or partner with some of those people who are on the ground right we we Protura would love to partner with great VCS from London doing yes. some of the absolute best deals out of Manchester we've done partner with some absolute phenomenal VCS um, both in America and in London and we'd like to think that we're pretty good partners we like to think we're you know reasonable people you know pretty strong moral you know strong sort of moral ethical grounding in doing the right thing yes we'd like to think we're really you know a really accessible partner and we'd love to speak to anybody about some of the amazing founders and amazing businesses that are being built in the north because it's vc is a collaborative game right it shouldn't be just you know it doesn't it's not all about just I only care about Prochura. We should be like, it's all part of that ecosystem build. The more capital, the more success, the more we can talk about the success, the more founders can put it back in that flywheel.
0: Indeed. Amazing. Indeed. Look, Dave, thanks so much for sharing so much today about yourself, Praetura, tips for founders, messages for VCs. Um, uh, yeah, thank you I probably again. probably rambled on apologies. No, no, no. Look, it was uh, fantastic content um, and uh, I'm sure we could have spoken for two or three hours. I, but, I uh, find myself able to do that a lot <laughs> now in
1: VC B- in Manchester, VC in the North. Yeah, I can talk about it all day.
0: Fantastic. Dave, thanks so
1: much again. All right. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers.